This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. As you're returning to your seats, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is the 12th uh, message we've done on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and we're wrapping up the section today. It's, that's always very sad to me to come to the end of a section of Scripture or the end of a book uh, that we've uh, camped in for some time. Like I said, this is our 12th week. We've been on a series on spiritual gifts, and so if today's your first Sunday here, uh, it's certainly possible this is going to raise more questions than it will answer. Um, we have 11 other messages you could listen to if you'd like to. If you don't have anything else to do this afternoon, uh, you can download them from our website. Um, but this is the third message on 1 Corinthians 14, which is about the practice and the use of two spiritual gifts in particular, uh, speaking in tongues and prophecy. And Paul, who's writing this book, is writing this uh, largely as a corrective uh, to the Corinthian church because they abused the gift of speaking in tongues in particular. And just generally, they weren't motivated by love for others. That's what chapter 13 is about. So the chapter before this is all about loving others. They used the gifts for their own spiritual experience to promote themselves. They were divisive with the gifts. It caused separation within the church. And so Paul's having to communicate to them in this chapter how to use the gifts properly. And what he has said in verses 1 through 5, we looked at uh, sort of an explanation of these gifts. And he explained that speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift that is directed, speech directed towards God. It's where an individual speaks to God, not to people. That's what he literally says. It's to God, not to man. In a language that they don't know, it is a prayer or a praise or a thanksgiving. These are all words he uses in the chapter. It's speaking to God in prayers, praise, thanksgiving in a language that the person does not understand. And therefore, he wants to curb the use of it publicly. Uh, He doesn't want it to be used without an interpretation, which is another gift um, as well, because people won't understand what's going on and they won't benefit. He then describes the gift of prophecy and says that that is a gift where someone speaks something uh, that God has given them to say. It's not authoritative uh, or it's not uh, like equal. It's not revelation at the equal with scripture. It must be judged by scripture. But it's something that someone would communicate to the church, to a group um, that would encourage and build up and comfort the church is what he says. And so Paul is advocating this gift. If you look at verse one, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And the reason is because it's intelligible. Everyone can understand it and it builds the church up. And so Paul is for ad, is advocating this verse. He's not opposed to tongues at all. He tells the Corinthians he speaks in tongues more than all of them. But when he's gathered with the church, he would rather speak five words that everybody could understand than 10,000 in a tongue. So in the, he, he evidently uses this gift outside of church in, in his private devotional life. But inside church, he would only use it with a, uh, an interpretation. So that's where we are today. This last section is chock full of explanation and a few uh, head-scratching phrases that we want to uh, jump into. So there's a lot, of, a lot of work to get done here in a short amount of time. So I'm going to read the passage And then we will walk it through. We've done the whole chapter verse by verse. We'll just walk it through verse by verse. Verse 26. What then, brothers, 
When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most, three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this section of Scripture and this whole section about uh, your Spirit's work among your people to build your people up as a means of expressing your love to your people and for your people to love one another. God, we pray that we as a people uh, would be captivated by your love for us and express that love to others. And we pray that we would seek to use the gifts that you give to build the church. Lord, I pray that as we look at this section, uh, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would clarify things that can be clarified. And Lord, I pray that you would leave us comfortable with mystery where that is there as well. And uh, I just ask that you would give me clarity to speak and to, uh, to serve the church and to bring your word to bear on us. Lord, we submit ourselves to your word and ask you to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul's overarching concern in this chapter has been that the church be built up. And last week we really looked at how he made the point that with tongues, uninterpreted tongues in the church, that it's unintelligible. And he made the point that the church cannot be built up by what they don't understand. And the point that he's making here is the church won't be built up by uh, disorder. The church will not be built up by confusion. So just as the church isn't built up by what they don't understand, neither are they built up by disorder. And so the burden of these three paragraphs that we're looking at today is really found in the last verse of the whole chapter, but all things should be done decently in order. That is Paul's concern here, is that there be order in this church, and we all want that. We all want to have a biblical order to the way we worship the Lord corporately together. So he's going to speak of three kinds of orderliness. He's going to talk about orderly tongues. He's going to talk about orderly uh, prophecy. And then he's going to talk about what I think is orderly authority in the life of the church. That'll be the last one. So first of all, orderly tongues. Paul doesn't leave it vague. He has said, now he's going to have to be very specific. He has said, you should love one another. And they are not loving one another in the way they're expressing gifts. So he has to say, love one another in the way you're expressing gifts, chapter 13. Um, 
And then he's going to show us very specifically how to do that. He doesn't just say, don't do unintelligible things. He don't, doesn't just say, edify everyone. He really has to bring it down to a very practical level for the Corinthians. First of all, he says in verse 26, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So he's concerned that there be building up, that various members of the church bring various gifts, various things to bear in the meeting of the church, and that as they do that, the church is built up. This is kind of like 1 Corinthians 12, where he talked about different parts of the body, different parts of the body with different gifts function together. Different contributions are made in the meeting, is what he is saying. They've been fixated on tongues, but he's saying someone brings a song, someone brings a lesson, someone brings a revelation, lowercase r. He's not talking about the inerrant scripture. He's talking about something God would bring to someone's mind, reveal to them to share. So he says he brings all of these things. And then he's going to talk about orderly tongues, orderly use of the gift of tongues. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. Now, he says, if there be a tongue, in their case, I'm assuming there always was based on what we've seen in, in the church, in the, in the description of their church. But he says, if that happens, let it be only two or at most three. So let a couple people do this. We're going to cap it at three. And then he needs to actually tell the Corinthians that, uh, that, that they should speak in turn. So, so this is, they're not speaking in turn. Evidently, they are all speaking in tongues, or multiple are speaking in tongues at once. And so he has to say, uh, you know, let's go one at a time, boys and girls. Now, he has already said, I'm addressing you as children. I addressed you as infants, he says in chapter 3. So he has to say, let's go one at a time. Um, And likely that's not what's happening. Look at verse 23. If the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say you're out of your minds? So evidently that was happening. People were thinking this is crazy. Um, And so he has to tell them, go one at a time. Then he says, um, and let someone interpret. That's a gift as well. They wouldn't know the language being spoken, but it's a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12 says that's a spiritual gift, interpreting tongues. So he says, someone must interpret what's communicated in these two or three tongues that are given in the the church. He says, verse 28, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So if there's no one with the gift of interpretation, then you just don't speak in tongues in the church service. How would they have known if there was someone with the gift of interpretation? I don't know. Paul doesn't say, perhaps someone had done that before. Perhaps someone had communicated they sensed they had an interpretation if someone had a tongue. I don't know how that worked there. Um, I'm not sure about that one. But he does say if there's not anyone who has that gift, there is no one interpreter, then no one should speak. The church at Corinth was likely, uh, would not have been like this. Uh, It was likely a house church. 
uh, probably the feeling of the meeting was a little more similar. I'm sure they had the preached word, but it was probably a little more similar to what we might find in one of our community groups, a small group. Uh, a lot of the churches met in homes in the New Testament, and so um, and they grew and then maybe met in a more public gathering spot. But it may have been a, a home church, so everyone may have known each other um, and would have known who had what gifts. And he says, if there's no one, then he should... Uh, keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So we talked about this last week. What does it mean to speak to oneself in tongues? Well, first of all, it's an ad- absolute demonstration that this is a communication between a person and God that can be expressed privately through prayer. If not, he would say, it's only for public consumption. Don't use the gift if there's not someone. Some people say, well, this is not something that... Why would God give something that where people would talk to him individually and privately? Uh, that, that's impossible. Well, that's exactly what he says there. You can speak to God and to yourself without it being public. So what is the volume level of that? I've been asked, what if someone is praying in tongues and we're in a small group, we are gathered here on Sunday morning, we're in a prayer meeting. What, what, what does praying to oneself mean and what does praying out loud mean? Um, well, we don't intend to police that with a decibel meter. Um, but I think common sense and the application of Scripture would say, if somebody can really hear what I'm saying, then it's not to myself and to God. And if there's outsiders around, the concern is that if there's someone that does not know what's going on, that their actual conclusion is that this is crazy, and it doesn't draw them to the Lord, it pushes them away from the Lord. And if they know what's going on, but they... Uh, and they don't think it's crazy, then Paul says it's still wrong because you may be giving thanks well enough, but they won't be able to enter into your thanks. So it would just be meaningless, at best a neutral distraction to them, is what he says. So I would say if you have this gift and you exercise it in some kind of a, to yourself and to the Lord, as talking about here and not in a public way, that you should use it in a way that wouldn't be distracting. And uh, again, I don't have a volume level um, on that, um, but I just think it's, if it's between you and God, then make it between you and God and not you and the three rows around you. That's you and 20 people, not you and God. So I think that's just a sensible application of that is what, he, what he's talking about there. Um, and I think we can all, anyone who has that gift, we can just uh, use some wisdom and some care and some love for others and particularly a concern for those who don't know the Lord or don't know what this is all about, as Paul says. So that's what he says. That, and that's, that's kind of how he says to use the gift. It is to build up the church with interpretation. If not, it's between the person and the Lord. So what he says in this is uninterpreted tongues doesn't build up the church. Uh, speaking in tongues at the same time, one at a time, doesn't build up the church. And too many tongues doesn't build up the church with interpretation, two or at the most three. So many of us have not seen this two or at the most three times in our lifetimes, uh, much less uh, in a given service. But he, these guys were, um, were given to this expression of spiritual gift. And Paul commends that in chapter one, even though they're really messed up. He actually commends and thanks God that they have spiritual gifts. Secondly, would be orderly prophecy. That's where he moves next. He's going to give some order on prophecy. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Now, I don't think he's speaking about an office there, and I'll explain that in a second. I I don't think Paul was identifying a couple of people as prophets. So we have a local pastor, we have a local prophet, 
Um, I think he's referring to pro- the prophet as the person who's prophesying, the person who's bringing a prophetic word, because he's later going to say, all of you can prophesy. Uh, Acts 2 is going to say, broadly people can prophesy, and that it's not located in, only in this gift or office of prophet. So let two or three uh, people prophesy and let the others weigh what is said. He says something different here than tongues. On tongues, he says, two or at the most, he's capping it. He's putting a ceiling on it at at three. On this one, he doesn't say that. He says, two or three prophets speak, two or three prophecies, and let other people weigh what is said. So is he limiting the number here? I don't think so, because look at verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The emphasis of that verse is all. At least theoretically, he's saying everyone in the room could do that. And again, he's probably talking about not 500 people in a room, but a house church context. But theoretically, all could prophesy. Look at what he says, verse 24. Verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. So he's actually even imagining, what about a situation where there's a lot of prophecy going on, someone doesn't know the Lord comes in, they hear people speaking words that the Lord laid on someone's heart to encourage and upbuild and edify, uh, highlighting the the work of Christ, then people could actually be, uh, people could actually come to the Lord by that is what he is talking about. So I don't think those are parallel. Two are at the most three two or three and let others weigh what is said. So what is he saying? I think what he's saying there, the way it reads to me, uh, is that rather than limiting the number in a given meeting, what he is doing is he's limiting the exercise that two or three could prophesy and let there be a weighing of what is said, a consideration, a discernment, an evaluation of what is said, a response to what is said. So don't, don't have 15 people Uh, all prophesy. You might prophesy uh, one by one, but weigh. There needs to be some process or mechanism of considering, weighing, evaluating what is said. Um, For you can all prophesy. So I think think there's a very clear difference in terms of what he is saying between the two. How is this weighing to take place? Now again, he doesn't give a lot of details. I'll tell you when I think the details are there and when I think they're not as I'm reading it, and you're, you, can be a, you can feel free to read it and come to a different conclusion. That, that is certainly fine. But I'm telling you what, as I understand it, and this is something that I, I'm, I'm, I don't think the Scripture makes this clear. But he says that it needs to be weighed. How, who is to weigh it? Well, at one level, I think everybody's to weigh it. When I'm preaching the Scripture, everybody is to weigh it. You're not to assume it's true because I'm preaching it. Um, because your pastor said that's the way it is, you don't take that uh, as authoritative. Uh, hopefully, you'd be willing to give your pastor the benefit of the doubt if you misunderstood. You'd be willing to talk to them about it. You'd be willing to go back and forth about it. So, uh, you know, hopefully, you would give some place to your pastor that you'd want to, uh, you know, believe the best and be leaning in. But you shouldn't uh, swallow hook, line, and sinker what your pastor tells you unless he's reading you a verse, uh, and it's just, that's the Bible. But when he begins to interpret, you need to evaluate the Scripture yourself. And, and Paul commends that, or in Acts it's commended, that the Bereans studied the Scripture to see if what Paul said was true. So at one level, when I'm preaching, everybody should be weighing and evaluating. And how does that apply to me? And what is that? do I see that in the text? And, and all that kind of thing. And I think that's true when a prophecy is given as well. Everybody should be evaluating. 
everybody should be weighing. But there may be a weighing beyond that. There may be a weighing in terms of how is this to apply in our congregation? How are we to act upon what we hear? What are we to hear as the whole congregation comes together? So the way we have sought to do that is certainly a general weighing, but we have sought to, in the public gathering on Sunday mornings, have our pastors uh, provide some kind of oversight. Pastors are called overseers. And they're provide so there to direct the affairs of the church. They don't micromanage people's lives or direct the affairs of people's lives individually. But as a church as a whole, they are to oversee and to direct the affairs of the church. That's what a pastor does. They're to call the shepherd. They're to shepherd the church by feeding and protecting and caring for the church. And so we feel like when someone is going to bring a word, an impression, a thought, an idea to the whole church when we are gathered on Sunday, that that should be weighed um, by all of us, but in a, in a special way, that should be weighed by our, uh, by our leaders in the meeting. And in a small group, the same thing. We would think that somebody can share, the whole group can respond to that, and, uh, but the leader of that group should be responsible to help direct uh, or how, how to respond as a group to that. So when he says several should speak and then there should be a weighing of what is said, we try to, uh, we try to view that in two ways. One is we weigh the content of prophet, prophetic words, encouragements, exhortations, message of knowledge, message of wisdom, scripture reading. If somebody wants to just read a scripture, we're not evaluating that, of course. But uh, if they want to say something about that, if they're going to communicate it to the church, we weigh it and we choose to weigh it beforehand for a few reasons. We could weigh it afterwards. That's not real clean. And that can be awkward if there's a problem with that. And secondly... Um, we, we don't really have open mic Sundays because we don't know everyone in the room. There's people that aren't Christians in the room. And we, uh, if you're a guest, we're not assuming you're not a Christian. I don't mean that. I mean, uh, there are people who regularly attend here that may not be Christians. But there are people that aren't Christians, and so we're not going to have an unbeliever address the church. Uh, there could be someone who's doctrinally in error. Uh, someone who's mentally unstable, someone who wants to just say things to the whole church, someone who's got a burden and feels like they would just give the whole church a spanking on Sunday morning and got, they got a prophetic correction for everybody to, that they just, something they want to get off their chest. So we're not just going to open without any evaluation because we feel like we are to oversee. We could do that and then just come in afterwards and say, uh, thanks, sir. Uh, thanks for playing. No consolation prize for you. That was heretical. And, but then that's just really awkward. The rest of the meeting's like, oh, man, I got, got called out for heresy publicly. When we could have privately said, sir, could you, you're a heretic. Could you see us after the meeting and we'll help you? <laughs> and we love you. We'll have you over for lunch. We'd be happy to show you the way, but you may not share that with the church. And we do that because we're not trying to inappropriate appropriately control the meeting. We don't do this in a small group in the same way. We'd have more flexibility. Everybody knows each other. But on Sunday morning, we, we feel like we're to guard and shepherd and protect and oversee, and it doesn't serve you if that sort of thing happens. Second, second way we weigh it, and this is the weighing after, after two or three. Sometimes when several wor words come together, we will seek to say, how is the Lord perhaps calling us to respond to this? This happened at the youth retreat yesterday. Yesterday afternoon this happened. At the end of the youth retreat, there was a period where several people had brought impressions and shared them with the whole group. Actually, a couple of young people did. Is that cool? That a couple of high school students 
I think they were high school, I don't remember, but, but a couple of young people, middle school, high school students, shared something with the whole retreat at the end that God put on their heart as we were worshiping. Several adults did. But after a few of them, uh, you know, we conferred and said, okay, how do we respond to this? And so we responded and called some people to respond, and some people responded, and we prayed for them and ministered to them, and that sort of a thing. So another way we try to weigh what is said is not just it is how are we to respond as a church to something like that? Now, nothing came this morning. Uh, no one brought anything to the mic, so we didn't have an illustration of that. But that is how we don't have an illustration this morning, but that's how we try to do it. Um, one of the things I've been asked, now I'm just being very practical. I'm get going on way here. I'm just going to tell you something, some real practical stuff here. Because people ask, I've been asked, what happens when people comes up to the mic? I mean, I've never been at a church where that happens. The only time I ever saw someone come and whisper in the pastor's ear was then he got up and told us someone's lights were on in the parking lot. So that's it. And he gave the license number. So we've got people, if you're a guest, it didn't happen today, but sometimes someone will come up and whisper in one of the pastor's ears. That's not a general compliment. That's not, uh, you know, or something. Uh, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, they're wanting to share something with the church. And so let me tell you what happens, because I've been asked, wow, what if somebody goes up and they go sit down? Was that person a heretic? Did they say something really bad? I'm never going up there. If you go up there and whisper in Pete Payne's ear, he may send you to your seat. And the whole church watches you walk back to your seat. Like you go up there full of faith, and then you walk back, kind of head down, and people are like, look at it. So let me give some parameters of that, because do not avoid coming up, because you don't know what's happening up here. Uh, so I'm going out of the scripture a little bit and saying, but I'm not really. I'm talking about how to weigh things. So I'm really just going in on this one word, how to weigh things. Here's what we do. Someone will come up and say, I feel like the Lord's laid this on my heart. So here's what we'll do. First of all, we'll have them just give us a synopsis. What, what is it you want to say? And we will see, is this biblically true? Um, in this church, almost always that's going to be biblically true. I can remember a time when I wasn't sure. I remember one time, uh, I don't do this as much here. Uh, at the previous church I was at, I always was at the microphone. Um, and and uh, here, the first couple years I was, but I haven't been doing that as much anymore. But I can remember somebody coming up one time and they, had, they wanted to read this, this verse uh, with kind of an obscure context out of one of the minor prophets. And I was not familiar with the context. They said, hey, I want to read this, and I think the encouragement for the church is boom. And I wasn't even sure about the context. I didn't have time to read the whole chapter. I didn't know. And I actually told them, you know, that's probably what it means, but I don't know. And um, I- I'm just uncomfortable. I- I'm not doubting you. I'm doubting me. And so I'm not trying to be a bottleneck to what the Lord's doing here, but I don't know if that's what that passage is about. And that obscure reference to the Assyrians or whatever, and you're comparing them to so-and-so, I I don't know. So they wanted to give a little informed teaching exhortation, and I said, no, I just don't know. But most of the time, that's never an issue here. Secondly, does it fit the guidelines for prophecy? Paul tells us, look at verse 3. It's for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. Does this word, upbuild, comfort, and encourage? If so, great. If not... If somebody wants to bring a strongly corrective word, and that's, we're, we're, we're really not, that's not the, that hasn't been the flavor of this church to date. Uh, we're on the more timid end rather than the, on the more aggressive end. So I don't think we're in danger of getting rebuked for disorder in our church. Um, I think our tendency would be to, uh, I would rather, I think it's better at times to not, never be disorderly, but to wonder. Is there enough happening that I would at least wonder? That, that's maybe not a bad thing. But anyway, um, 
in terms of bringing a corrective word, we don't really feel like just a prophetic word to rebuke and lambast the congregation is usually the best use of encouragement, con- encom- uh, encouragement, consolation, and building up. We believe that correction normally comes through the teaching of the Scripture, uh, and normally would be something of a responsibility of an, uh, of an elder who is providing oversight and teaching and protection and a direction through the Scripture itself and uh, not just through um, a prophetic word. Uh, another one would be, what about the timing of the word? Is this the right time? Uh, sometimes we're going through a worship service and uh, we may, someone may share something that would really fit after the third song a lot better than where we are now. What about the timing of this? Uh, what, have we had too many words? Again, that didn't happen this morning, but has there been too many things shared? We just need to respond by singing to the Lord and was thinking, and we've already had plenty of things shared. So sometimes, the, you know, how are there too many words? Um, sometimes maybe just a subjective sense that this isn't for the whole church. I've had a lot of people over the years come to me and say, you know, this is something that I feel like the Lord laid on my heart when I was in my devotional time, but this might just be for me. I'm just saying, do you think this is for the whole church? I mean, isn't that humble that someone would come and share that? And um, sometimes I'll listen and say, no, I think that's for all of us. That's outstanding. Share that. And sometimes maybe it's so specific, it's just a sense of, you know, I think that was God speaking to you, and I'm not sure right now that is for everybody. And uh, if, if the Lord does give you something privately like that and you share it, don't share it apologetically because you don't need to. If we think it's for the whole church, then bring it. You don't have to say, well, I was in my quiet time and I just sort of thought, now this may be for me and I'm not sure, but I was thinking about, this is probably for me, it may be for some of you, maybe a few of you, I'm not really sure, but I don't know if this is for everybody or not, but I had this thought that the Lord spoke to me. You don't have to do all that. You just say, here's my impression and share it and uh, we'll we'll be edified and encouraged. But we're listening for some of that kind of stuff. Um, So what do I assume if I see someone come and say something to the pastor and go back to their seat and they don't share it? What should I assume? Well, I think you should assume uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And I think you should respect the person who's trusting the Lord and stepping out in faith. First of all, I would think, praise God, they're sharing something. Secondly, I would make no assessment about the content of what they've said. My experience is I've had people come share things with me, and sometimes the very best, most powerful things I don't have them share. I can think of numbers of times where somebody came up and said, this is my burden. They have no idea what I'm preaching, and they just said point three of my sermon to me in my ear. And so I say to them, wow, this is uncanny. You, did not, you just shared point three of the message today, and you didn't even know what you're sharing. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to think that's the Lord speaking to me, maybe not to all of us right this second, but speaking to me, and I'm going to camp on that point and in faith hammer it home because... The Lord just brought someone that reminded me of that truth in a powerful way. So I don't think I'm going to have you share it. Sometimes I might have them share it. And then, boy, that's a confirmation. We had it before. We had it in the sermon. But that person might have been the most sensitive to the whole Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, and we didn't put them on the mic. So that would be one, two. Here's another thing that could happen. The pastor could make a mistake. It happened one time. Yeah, shock. There's There's gasps. <laughs> Usher smelling salts. People are shocked. They're passing out. Uh, maybe the pastor was wrong. Maybe it should have been shared. But because this is an inerrant, authoritative prophecies that are equal with Scripture, we don't have to lose sleep over that. We don't have to lose sleep if we, somebody shares something that's just kind of okay. We don't have to lose sleep if somebody goes back to their seat. 
Uh, in a minute, we're going to see there's a place where somebody's prophesying and that person just stops and the next one goes in Corinthians. So maybe the pastor was wrong. So when you see him, maybe you don't need to be thinking, oh, they must have shared something bad. Maybe you just should have think, what a dense pastor. That person brought something powerful and that per- the pastor didn't get it. So it may be the pastor. Um, but we should just pray for people that God would stir this up, pray for the pastors. And there have been times when I haven't had somebody share that I've said this to them. So, you know, I'm not sure that's for all of us right now. I really appreciate you coming and sharing this. And I want you to assure me, I don't ask them to promise, but I want you to assure me something. The next time you get an impression, you'll come right back up here. Do not allow this. I just don't think it's for right now. I think it's true. I think it's good. But we've got one more song and then we're doing this. I know something else that's coming, whatever. Um, And so we're going to go with that. I just want you, so we want everyone to be leaning forward and no one to be making unwise assessments about anybody. So hopefully that's helpful. That's how we try to weigh. Um, Look at verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So if someone's prophesying, let two or three prophets speak, let others weigh. If if someone else starts, a revelation comes to them, then the first one can stop and the next one can speak. A couple things about that. If these are the very words of God when he uses the word revelation or prophecy, if that's what's going on, then why in the world would you say stop? I mean, if, if Jeremiah is giving authoritative prophecy that will be recorded in the scripture, would you say, okay, we, someone else has got something over here. Can you just hold it on that pal and sit down? Come on up here. Yeah, sure. Of course not. You would want to hear every word of this if it was inerrant authoritative prophecy. You wouldn't want to lose it. Um, here's a second observation. If one person is speaking and we can stop and someone else can come up, that, that's never happened here. Maybe they, I think maybe they had long-winded prophecy people or something. But if that happened, it also, real, uh, it also demonstrates that a person is in control of their speaking faculties. If a person is in a hypnotic state and in a state of frenzy speaking, well, they couldn't stop. But if someone's speaking like I am to you now with in control of their faculties, they can stop. Uh, that's true with tongues too. If someone has a tongue that they can't control, if we've had two or at the most three, Paul would say, you can control it. Sit down. If there's no interpreter, you don't have to blurt out. Sit down and speak to yourself and God. These are all controllable experiences. They're not someone's overcome and they just have to do it. I have to speak at the mic. No, you don't. No, uh, Paul makes it pretty clear. We don't, we don't have to. Um, none of us do. So it's not something that we are overtaken by or something like that. What's the point in all of this? Um, that God is not a God of... Well, let me, let me back up. Verse 32. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So we can all prophesy one at a time, he says, verse 31. We can all learn and be encouraged. And the prophet can... Ex- it can, it can subject his own spirit. He can control himself, it's what's being said. can control himself. And the goal of that is that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What's Paul saying? He's saying that your understanding of God will be demonstrated in your worship of God. Corinthians, you believe God is powerful. Corinthians, you believe God is present. Excellent. Corinthians, you don't have a good reading on God's orderly nature and that he is a peaceful God because you have chaos. Corinthians, you don't really have a grip of the love of God, that he loves his people and wants to build them up. 
Why is that? Because you have everyone speaking and you're distancing people from God. They're confused. They feel like foreigners is what he says. It's like speaking a foreign language, one foreigner to another. You've got unbelievers that think you're nuts and are scared away. So you don't see the love of God in your worship style and your approach. You don't see the peace of God. You see the power. You see the presence. What would God say about me and what would God say about you? I mean, does my heart of worship reflect the reverence of God, perhaps? Am I reverent in my soul, in my heart? Does it reflect the love of God? Do I come near to God and want to see other people built up? Am I joyful in my worship? If, I, if we understand the grace of God that we have been, as we sang this morning, set free, it will produce a joy. So do I understand grace? Do I understand holiness? Am I reverent? Am I joyful? It can be both. Am, am, uh, am I seeing the love of God? Is this all about me or is it about all about us? It's all about God ministering to us, rather. So that, well, the point is that our understanding of God will show up in our worship. And there, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And you don't see God if you're having confusion, is what he's saying there. Okay, here's the last point. Orderly tongues, orderly uh, prophecy. And then what I think he's talking about is orderly authority. We're about to walk through a minefield here, so stay close together as a group. Stay buddy system, stay, hold hands with the person near you. Uh, I don't know what this next section means, but I'm going to tell you what I think it doesn't mean. I feel very confident that the scripture tells us what it doesn't mean. I, I don't feel very confident that I know at least what it does mean. As in all the s- churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. What does keep silent mean? Does it mean to literally keep silent, for instance? Uh, if so, then the previous t- three chapters, or at, le- at least chapter 12 and chapter 14, we probably should have just done on a men's retreat because it only applies to the men. If, that's, if it literally means that none of the gifts are to be exercised by women, then I don't know that we should have even... Uh, we could have taught it in mixed company, but I'm not sure. Uh, I, all along the way, I should have been saying, no, this is only for the men, this is only for the men. Um, I don't think that that, this passage of Scripture is talking about women not prophesying. And I'm going to give you two interpretive reasons. The first is broad, and the first is very tightly in this context. Here's the broad passage. And when we we interpret Scripture, we always allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And we always want to look at foundational passages, ultimately, and sort of give them priority over practice passages when it appears that there's a conflict. In, in, uh, in the Old Testament, Joel prophesies that there is coming a day when the new covenant will be birthed and the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon the church. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. So in the Old Testament, only some people had the Spirit, only some people used the Spirit, only some people spoke by the Spirit. But under the new covenant, when the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, there is a leveling effect where all the people of God receive the Spirit of God in a new way. And at Pentecost, the Spirit falls, uh, people speak in tongues, and perhaps people prophesied. I'm assuming someone did, based on what Peter says. So Peter stands up at Pentecost, and this is what he says. He says, this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. This is huge, folks. This is so, so huge. So there's a new day. There's a new age. He's going to call it the last days. We have entered the last days today 
on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out. And here is what the sign is that the Spirit has been poured out. Verse 17, this is quoting Joel. Peter quotes this, Acts 2, day of Pentecost. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So in two instances, Peter says what's happening here in salvation history today is that the spirit's been poured out on all people. And lest there be any question, women will prophesy is what he says. And he says here, if there be any question about that, in the next verse, he says again, not only uh, even on male servants and female servants, and they shall prophesy. So twice, Peter says that the day of Pentecost is the birth of the church, and the characteristic nature of the birth of the church is the people of the Spirit, and men and women will prophesy. Now, in Corinthians, Paul has already said that women are prophesying in the church, and he has no problem with that. Look at chapter 11. He's going to talk about head coverings here, and I'm not going to get into that. That's a different talk for a diff- one controversy at a time, okay? Uh, verse 4. Verse 4, he's talking about the worship service. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Verse 5, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. She's wearing a head covering because her husband's present. So this isn't the women's meeting. This isn't the ladies' Bible study. Uh, this isn't woman-to-woman meeting. This is everybody's together. That's why he's saying wear a head covering, because the men are present as well. And women are praying and prophesying. So the very nature of the new covenant is that the gifts in this way are all. It's already happening in Corinthians. So why would Paul say all this about prophecy and then say the women should keep silent in church? I think it's... I think we have to look at what does he mean by silent. Um, is he requiring a complete, complete absence of speech? A complete absence of speech when we gather together. Well, look at the context. He's already used the word silent in a couple times, and when he uses silent, it means silent with regard to a certain kind of speech. So look at verse 28. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So, does the tongue speaker need to, if there's no one to interpret, say nothing in speech, in in, in the service, keep silent in the service? Does he mean do not pray, do not read the Bible, do not greet your neighbor, absolute silence? Of course not. He means be silent with a certain type of speech, be silent with tongues and no interpretation. Don't use that kind of speech. Be silent with that kind of speech. Or look at verse 30. If a revelation is made to another there, let the first be silent. So guys prophesying, or I believe gals prophesying, someone else has a word, the first person's to keep silent. Does that mean say nothing else the rest of the sermon? Is it the rest of the meeting? Does it mean an absolute silence where no one can utter a peep Of course not. He means be silent with regard to a particular type of speech. What type of speech? Prophecy. You're done. Someone else is prophesying. So Paul, in this context, uses the words keep silent, and he does not mean utter silence in the whole meeting. He means silence with regard to a type of speech. If there's no interpreter, you must be silent with regard to tongues. 
If you're prophesying and someone else gets a word, you must be silent with regard to continuing your prophecy. So, if it means a silence with regard to a certain type of speech, what does he mean when he says, and the women should keep silent? Because he's just used it twice. Same term, same context, same definition. Silent with regard to a certain type of speech. What type of speech are women to be silent about? I don't think prophecy. Because of Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 11. They're to be silent with regard to some type of speech. What kind? I'm not sure. So now I'm conjecture. I'm going to tell you, well, this is my best. There's a lot of interpretations. This is my best understanding. I think they're to be silent with regard to unsubmissive speech. Not tongues, not prophecy, but unsubmissive speech. Verse uh, 34, he says, they are permitted, uh, women are not permitted to speak. They should be in submission as the law speaks. So what's the problem here? Speech that would not be in submission. So I think the problem is they are to be silent, just like the others, with regard to a certain type of speech, with regard to speech that lacks submission as the law says. Now, he doesn't quote the law, so we don't know what does this mean. Um, but if we look at the scripture, places where women, the, the law doesn't say women are to keep silent, but there are two places where women are to express submission, in the family and in the church. In the family, they're submitted to their husbands. They're not submitted to all men. They're submitted to their husbands. In the church, uh, the overseer shepherd elder role is a male only role in the church so women are submitted to a male leadership the the, the eldership is a male eldership in the new testament paul says first timothy 2 12 that uh that um he does not allow women to teach or to have authority over men in the church so there is this sense where uh men are called to provide or, or some men elders are called to provide a oversight to govern the affairs of the church so those are the two places in the scripture, at least, and that we see uh, submissive or unsubmissive speech. So what would be happening? They're, they're to keep silent with regard to uh, unsubmissive speech. So maybe they're being unsubmissive to their husbands in the gathering. Maybe they're being unsubmissive to the elders in the gathering. I think it's certainly possible that back at 33, where he says, let the others weigh what is said. I mean, back at 29, let the others weigh what is said. I think it would be inappropriate for a woman to assert herself in an eldership role and govern prophecy in the life of the church and to speak in the life with male present, with men present, that she should be an elder, functioning as an elder, and guiding the, uh, the effects of prophecy on the church. I think she could prophesy. There's a difference in prophesying. There's a difference in applying and overseeing prophesying, governing the affairs of the church and the life of the church. So that would be unsubmissive. I, I can't guarantee that's what he's talking about here. But we are talking about weighing speech, weighing prophecies. Uh, maybe they're being, un she, it says you can ask your husbands at home. So maybe there's some sense where they're dissing their husbands uh, and disrespecting in an inappropriate way and usurping authority. Maybe they're discussing the prophecies and they are taking leadership over their husbands in some way that is disrespectful. That's possible. Um, that's possible as well. I, I think what ultimately the key, though, is, is to say that it, if, if, if we see what silence with regard to tongues is and silence with regard to prophecy is and the same language, silence for women with regard to what, 
They're not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission, unsubmissive speech. And then he says, ask your husbands at home. My, my best guess is that he's either talking about the weighing of what is said, which may be an elder's function ultimately, or some inappropriate uh, communication with the husband. But let me say this. Let's, I, I believe in literal interpretation of the scripture. I'm not doing... I'm serious. If you're a guest, we, we do not do exegetical gymnastics and pull a rabbit out of the hat. I don't try to do that at all. But I, I'm just saying, based on Acts 2 and based on 1 Corinthians 11, if, and based on the context of silence, three times in four verses, if we come away from this and say a woman must be silent in all areas of the church, the interpretation pressed out literally is absurd. It means that women cannot sing. That's silence. It means that women cannot respond to a responsive reading. I read a verse, the congregation read a verse. Only the men. Women keep silent in church. It means that a woman cannot share a prayer request in the home church at uh, Corinth when they're meeting at home. It means a woman cannot pray for someone else in the meeting if men are present. It means women cannot say anything. It means a woman cannot serve as a greeter in the church as an usher and help someone find a seat if she's speaking in church. I mean, literally, it means she can't pinch her little one and say, be still or I'm taking you to the bathroom. She can't say anything. <laughs> she can't say anything. I don't think anybody believes that's what it means. I don't think anybody believes absolute silence. It is a relative silence with regard to a certain type of speech. And because of Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 11 we, and, and 1 Timothy 2 in our church, we have women prophesy. We do not have them weigh and apply them to the whole church. Um, we do not have women teach or serve as elders. We don't have women serve as elders in a teaching role. We have women teaching women. That's biblical. That's commanded. But we don't have that. So that's how we try to walk out Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy. That's how we try to do it and apply uh, all of them. I also think when he talks about submission here, this whole last section is about authority, and I've got to wrap it up quick here. This whole last section is about authority. So orderly tongues orderly prophecy, and then orderly authority. Don't have women speaking in an unsubmissive way. Um, and then he says, uh, he talks about his apostolic authority next. Verse 36 through 38. Was it from you that the word of God came? Uh, Corinthians, are you producing, this is another reason I don't think their prophecies are authoritative. This is another reason I do not think they're like Old Testament prophecy. Uh, Corinthians, did the word start with you? No, it's from me. I'm an apostle called by God, Paul says. So I have the word of God. You have prophecy that has to be evaluated by the word of God. Um, or are you the only ones that has reached? Do you think you exclusively have the word of God? No. God is speaking through his apostles in the New Testament until it's written, and now there's no more authoritative words. Um, he, he is speaking through... His church, it's not just you, and he's speaking through authoritatively through his apostles. 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul is playing the trump card. Are you guys are prophesying? Let, let me tell you something. If you think that's authoritative, you're wrong. When I speak as an apostle this, and write the scripture and speak under the inspiration of the Spirit, I have authority. If you disagree with that, you're to be disagreed with and disregarded. You disagree, you disregard the apostle, you're to be disregarded. You're prophesying against the apostle, you're to be disregarded and marginalized. Translation, any prophecies that are being brought that saying, God told me and the Lord told me and this is the word of the Lord. And it clearly 
is different than the apostles writing, they're to be disregarded. Those prophecies are to be disregarded. This is the authority. Paul is closing this chapter saying, my words are different than yours because God has inspired me to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So it is a command of God. If anyone doesn't recognize that what I'm teaching here, 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians is the command of the Lord. When someone prophesies, we evaluate that. And we say, does it line up with the scripture? And is it submitted to the scripture? But please note here that Paul is distinguishing between his authority and the authority of congregational prophecy in Corinthians, which is a crowning reason that I do not believe what is happening here is the equivalent of authoritative Bible quality prophecies. So those who say there is no prophecy today because there was only authoritative prophecy, we've looked at, I don't know, five or six reasons. I think that's not true in the text. Just the idea that we can shut it down. Just the idea that the Corinthians who are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper are standing up and speaking the very words of God. That's, wow, that's a stretch. And the fact that Paul distinguishes his word from theirs at the very end. So here's the conclusion, verse 39. My brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. While his conclusion, all gifts are necessary, all that the Lord brings, all gifts are to desired, but he does speak differently about these two, does he not? He earnestly desire prophecy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. But he's talking about them, and the, the public benefit is different between the two. Lastly, all things should be done decently and in order. So Paul is communicating to us, God is communicating us to, through this writing, that God gives various gifts, chapter 12. He gives the body different gifts that we're to work together as one, as a people, to build the body of Christ. Chapter 13, he says that we're to use gifts out of love. Love for one another, love from God, love to others. They're to be motivated by love. And then at the end, he talks about the nature of these gifts. They're to be intelligible. They're to be used to build up the church, to edify the church. They're to be orderly. And there's to be an order around how tongues are used. There's to be an order around how prophecy is used. And there's to be an order about how authority is used with these gifts. And so he speaks to how women are to participate. And he speaks to how all prophecies are to be under the authority, in this case, of his apostolic teaching, but of all the Bible. The Bible is the authority. That sums it up. And he closes with this statement, eagerly desire. He doesn't, try to put a, he doesn't try to quench their enthusiasm. He tries to realign and aim their enthusiasm in a way that will glorify the Lord. And that's what we want to do. We want to be those who are open to the gifts that are in the Scripture. We want to be convinced of what the Scripture teaches, and that takes time for us sometimes. We want to be motivated by love, We want to herald the work of Jesus Christ. We want all the gifts to reflect his work in the gospel and to support that and to honor that. Uh, And we want to eagerly desire, want to be informed, want to desire, want to pray, want to step out in faith, want to have all the biblical guardrails, who's speaking, how they speak, and who's evaluating, who's weighing, who's applying, who's directing, how many are doing it, uh, how many are doing it before something's weighed and applied and discerned, 
All of these things, we want to order, we don't want chaos because that doesn't reflect God. So we want all the guardrails, but we don't want to fall into one ditch or the other. We don't want to be in the ditch of none of this is for today. It's just kind of confusing. I'd rather not go there. Or I saw something crazy on TV, so it can't be for today. Uh, That's one ditch. None of it's for today. Another ditch is, man, just let the Spirit flow. Why are we even taking all this time looking at verse? What's, What's the Spirit saying? Well, this is what the Spirit's saying right here. And so that's why we're going verse by verse. So we don't want to be over here. We don't want to be Corinthians. But I don't think we want to be fearful, paranoid, opposed to these gifts either. We want all the guardrails in place so that we can run down the road that the Lord's given us, drive down the road that he's given us to direct his church for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given your life for us, that you have not only died, but you've been resurrected that you're at the right hand of the Father and that you have poured out your Spirit upon your church. We thank you that Acts 2 teaches us that when the Spirit came, there was boldness, and we asked for that boldness. When the Spirit came, there were gifts, and we asked for those gifts. When the Spirit came, men and women alike were used by you in the various spiritual gifts, and we desire and embrace that for all your people who are Christians. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.